Hey, it's good to be back. Uh, I was at a wedding last weekend, uh, and uh, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, we, we are uh, concluding a series this week. Together we are uh, about the vision and values, what we are as a church, what does God call His church in general, and, and us too, specifically too. Uh, if you were not here, because I know a lot of people were gone Labor Day, you, you definitely need to go back and listen to the podcast that Pastor Rick gave where we talked together. We are uh, treasuring Christ, because that, that is so foundational to uh, what we believe and actually so foundational to what I want to say today that if you don't understand that the beauty and the value and the treasuring of Christ that is necessary for the bride of Christ, then everything else is just going to be wasted and you're going to waste the next uh, 30 minutes in my talk as well. So uh, go back and listen to that. Uh, it, it'll be worth your time for sure. Uh, next week, we'll start in our new series, the book of Romans. Uh, we'll dig deep in that for 29 weeks. And if you know anything about that book, that's kind of flying through that book, but ne- nevertheless, uh, we're going to uh, go deep in that Romans chapter one next week. But if you have your Bible today, you can begin to make your way to the book of Matthew, uh, the last verses of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. When I was a uh, freshman in college, there was a genocide taking place on the planet that I was not aware of. And probably you were not aware of, and most of the world was not aware of, and you may not even be aware of it now, but 1.1 million Africans died uh, in, in tribal w- warfare against each other in Rwanda, uh, the Hutus and the Tutsis, 1.1 million. Well, a young uh, lawyer that worked for the Department of Justice named Gary Haugen uh, was sent by the U.S. to go investigate and, and see what was going on, and he landed uh, right after a massacre had taken place in a church, and he was surrounded by bodies and he was uh, documenting everything and and as he went back just with that tragedy in his heart and in his mind he flew back to Washington DC got on a bus the next day the city bus and everyone was just going about their business and he felt just he wanted to explode inside he wanted to stand up and he says doesn't anyone know what's going on in the world doesn't anyone know the, the desperation that's going on on the other side? But they were all just going through their normal days as, as you and I would. But in that moment, young Gary Haugen, who is a follower of Jesus, said, Lord, I want to uh, leverage my life and give my life for the cause of justice, for the cause of justice of the, the sex slaves in South, uh, Southeast Asia, for the cause of justice of the slaves in, in India, and, and wherever there is injustice uh, among the 34 million slaves in the world today and elsewhere, I, I want to leverage my life for that. And he started an organization called International Justice Mission, and, and they do some tremendous work. Well, he wrote a book called Just Courage, which is one of my favorite books. But he tells this story at the beginning of the book uh, about being 10 years old. And as 10-year-old Gary, he went on a road trip with his dad and his brothers. And they went on a long journey to uh, Mount Rainier. And they were going to hike uh, Mount Rainier, do some hike there. And, and so they got there. And uh, the, the brother, uh, brothers and father went to use the restroom before going on the hike. And, and young 10-year-old Gary was standing at the trailhead. And, and as all trailheads have, even here in Colorado, there's signs. And the signs warn you, here's all the bad things that can happen to you on the trail. Here's all the ways that you can die. There's animals that will kill you. There's weather that will kill you. You could get lost. There's avalanches. There's rocks. There's fire. And he's just reading all these things. And fear is starting to creep more and more into his heart. So that when his brother and father come uh, to the trailhead, they're like, you ready to go, Gary? And he's like, you know what? It looks boring. I'm just going to stay back. And they're like, what, what do you mean? We, we, we came all this way for this. He's like, no. 
I'm going to go back to the visitor center and, and just check that out. And so they're like, okay, we're going to be gone for like six or seven hours. He's like, no, it looks boring. I'm, uh, the visitor center, that's, that's where I want to go. And, and so uh, they took off and he went back to the visitor center. And he says it took about an hour to watch all the videos and read all the things a couple times. And, and then he was bored out of his mind. And he went and sat on the trailhead and just stared, looking down the trail for the next six hours. Eventually, the, the father and the brothers uh, made, made their way back, and uh, they had some scrapes, some bumps and bruises, but he said they had something else. They, they had a glint in their eye, that they had been on an adventure, and he realized in that moment that he had gone on the journey, but he had missed the adventure. He had gone on the journey, but he had missed the adventure. He says, this is a description of so much of our Christian life in the West today. We're, we, we, we know we're on a journey, but we've missed the adventure. You know you're missing the adventure if your prayer life is non-existent or dull or seems pointless. You know you're not on the adventure if the Word of God is, is boring to you. You know you're not on the adventure if you feel no presence or power of the Spirit moving in your life. Why is that? Because Jesus promised his disciples in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And yet so much of our Christianity seems empty of all that. The reason is because that promise of Jesus, abundant life, is not just, hey, come to me and you have this and then go do your own thing. It's tied to a purpose and a pursuit. It's tied to a purpose and a pursuit, and yet we, we are part of a, a culture that, that, that is so, um, well, we're all just swimming in it. David Foster Wallace, in his 2005 Kenyan College commencement, he, he titled it, What is Water, or How's the Water? And he opens up this illustration. He's not a Christian, but he, he begins to deconstruct the cultural uh, air that we breathe and the water that we swim in. He tells this story. He said, there was, one day there was two young fish, and they were swimming along, and, and uh, along comes an older fish, and, and as they're passing, the older fish says to him, morning boys, how's the water? And the fish keep swimming on, and eventually the fish stop, and in more colorful language than I could say here, they turn to each other, and one of them says, what the heck is water? And the idea is, they're just in it. They just, that, that's, that's all they know. And, and David Foster Wallace begins to deconstruct the water that we're in, and, and it, is, it, it has a, a pull on our hearts, even if you're a follower of Jesus. I feel it. And here's what it looks like. You might call it the pursuit of the good life. You might call it the American dream. It is this. It's okay to have a little bit of adventure when you're in your 20s. The 20s is the time to get that degree, try new things, try different jobs. You're in first gear. You're spinning your wheels, date around. And there's okay if you want to kind of... Uh, you know, get out there and, and risk a little bit. But, but by the time you start to turn into your 30s, you need to shift down to second gear and, and you're still charging, you're still going further. But, but now you should, you should start to settle down. You start to, uh, you, you find a spouse and, and, and maybe you have your first kids and, and you buy a starter home. It's a starter home, don't worry, you won't be there your whole life. Eventually, you, you'll get to move into the, the forever home, but you're in the starter home. And so now is the time to find that job. You've tried three or four, 
before, uh, but you're now at the bottom rung. And so you're going to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week, and, and you're going to start to have some kids, and, and you're, you're growing. And uh, as you round into the 40s, you put it into third gear, and now you've, you've climbed the ladder a little bit. And now your kids are, are going to middle school and, and high school, and you're spending your weekends on the ball field, and you're, uh, you're still climbing the ladder to some degree, but, but, but things are good, and, and, and you're still going fast. But then you come into your 50s, and now you, uh, you put it into fourth or fifth gear. You put it on cruise control. You, you, uh, your kids have left the house, maybe. Grandkids are starting to come, and, and now it's time to just stockpile as much as possible, because the kids are not the expense in the house anymore, but, but you better get a very big, very, very big pile of cash and equity and investments and, and property so that when you come into your 60s, if you played your cards right and you followed the good life that is prescribed for all of us, then you can just uh, take it off cruise control. And if you have enough speed, just put it in neutral and just coast. And hopefully you can coast. It's like vacation for, for not just a year or a decade, but two or three decades. And you coast and you know you're eventually going to slow down and it's going to come to an end. And congratulations, you won the game of life. You coasted and you took your last breath. And Jesus repeatedly warns us that that is a wasted life. And yet I feel it. <laughs> I feel all of that. Like I, I study this. I preach this and I'm like, well... I'm at this stage. I need to start to do this. I need to make these moves. And, and I can start to just consume myself with the water that I'm swimming in. And Jesus says, there is a narrow path that is hard and few find it. There is a wide path that is easy but leads to destruction. He says to a rich young ruler who has it all. He says, what, what more do I lack to enter into the kingdom of heaven? He's like, you're there, man. All you have to do is just give away everything and come and follow me on the adventure. And the man goes away sad because he bought a different narrative. He tells a story in Luke chapter 12 of a guy who's just crushing it on the American dream, crushing it in the good life. Like things are going so well for him. He's stock, he's, he's early retirement. And so he's like, you know what? I've got so much. I've got to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And he fills those barns. He says, yes, I have arrived. Now I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry because I don't have to work at all. And Jesus says, you fool. Tonight, your life will be required of you. Jesus wants to frame for us a, a better story. He wants to frame for us what does it mean to have abundant life. He wants to frame for us a, a pursuit and a purpose that, that, that really needs to become all-consuming for us. And it is simply this, as a church and as followers of Jesus, two things. To know Him and to make Him known. To know Him and to make Him known. He says, you do that, you will go on an adventure. You do that, you will experience power and presence of the Holy Spirit to know him and to make him known. So, so in this series, we've been looking at how together, we can't do it on our own. Together, to know him, we need one another. We need to treasure Christ together. We need to build one another up. We need to use our gifts. But, but now we look at this idea of what does it mean to make him known? And so today, we're gonna, the title of this is Together We Are Sent. We gather here, not, not for the culmination of our Christian life, but for the, the first step. It is the trailhead. And at the trailhead, we scatter. We, we go into the world. Together, we are sent. And so with all that, if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 28. 
And I set it up this way because Matthew chapter 28, you know this probably if you have any background in Christianity at all. If not, this is kind of a central verses to why we exist as a church. It's called the Great Commission. Some of you have it memorized, but it's in the very familiarity of these verses that they become ho-home to us, that they're boring to us. So, so I just want to pause and just remind you that these are real words from the Son of God to you and to me and to our church this morning. Empowered by the Spirit, He has a, a purpose for us in these. So I would ask you to listen carefully. This is God's Word. We'll pick it up in verse 16, but let me set up the context. Jesus has left his throne in glory and, and taken on flesh. He's lived the life that you and I could never live, of perfect obedience to the Father. He's taught his disciples. He's been abandoned with a kiss. He, he's been betrayed. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been tortured on a cross. He died. He was taken down, buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and then on the third day, by the power of God, raised back to life. And over a period of 40 days, he appeared to groups of people, some one-on-one, some small groups, some as large just 500, Paul tells us, and he's appearing to these people, showing them the nail scars in his hands and the wound in his side that he is alive. And then he sends his disciples to Galilee and he has one last message for them, one last word of encouragement for them before he goes up, one last commission. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. (laughs) Yeah, naturally, they they were not expecting a a dead man who they saw tortured, crucified, dead three days to come back to life. So uh, they're like, I I don't even know if I can believe my eyes right now. I I don't know if this is real. And and so they're doubting, but others are like, no, I I believe he's more alive than ever. And he's got the nails in his hand. He's alive. And so they get on their face and they're worshipping him. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Well, again, these Verses are familiar to many of us, but I want to just go a little bit deeper here. Three, three things I want us to see here. He, he starts out, and, and none of these words are throwaway words. Uh, Jesus said them, and Matthew recorded them very specifically, very specifically in this order, because they build on each other. And, and so Jesus starts out, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, so he, Matthew's been making this argument throughout his gospel that Jesus is the promised king, he is the king of kings, that there is no higher than him, there's no authority higher than his authority, and so Jesus reminds them, guys, I have all authority. Now, now at first, in our, uh, in our idol of the autonomous self, we like to believe or, or live under the illusion that we're in control of our lives. We like to think, no, I have authority. I get to decide where I go and what I do. And, and, and honestly, as in terms of like the good life and the American dream uh, in Parker, Colorado, you guys are crushing that. Like we're, we're crushing that. So it looks like, uh, it looks like we, we actually do have the authority until we don't, until a global pandemic comes, 
or something like what happened 20 years ago yesterday happens, or you get news from the doctor, you realize maybe I don't have as much control and authority over my life as I thought. And so while it might be offensive at first that Jesus says, no, I have all authority. And because he has authority, he, he demands our obedience and allegiance. But, but, but if you start to think about it, this is incredibly great, great, great news that Jesus reminds him. He says, I have all authority. Yeah, yeah, the one who created the cosmos, I have all the authority. The, the one who loved you so much that I gave up my life for you, that I am totally for you and not against you, I'm in control. The, the, the one who is going ahead of us to prepare a place for us, he's in control. The one who has authority where? In heaven, all of the heavenly realm and on earth. He has authority over nature and, and over the wind and the waves. We, we saw that he has authority over life and death. He has the authority to lay his life down and take it back up again. He has the authority to go to his friend Lazarus' tomb and say, Lazarus, get up. That's the one who has all authority. That's the one who, whatever he says, every molecule in the universe obeys his command. He has all authority. And this is incredibly good news because he is for us and not against us. Who else do you want to have authority? Of course I want I, I pretend that I want to have authority, but I only mess up my life. But Jesus, who loved me and gave himself up for me, has all authority. It's all authority. And, and so the, the other thing about this is no matter what comes after that line, it's going to happen. So if Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth are, are, is given to me, therefore you're going to become bees and pollinate the world. Get ready to sprout some wings. Because it's going to happen. You might want to study what your favorite flowers are and the process of making honey because it's going to happen. And, and so he says, all authority on heaven and on earth that's been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, these, are, these verses are, are, are core to who we are. They're core to our vision and mission statement. We exist to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. That's why we exist. To make disciples for the glory of God and the joy of all people. The, another way we put it around here is uh, we, we want to be serving. We want to wash the feet of our city. We, we want to reach our neighbors and the nations. And you say, well, I see the nations in here, but well, where does the neighbors come from? Well, actually, in the original, the, the first command in, in verse 19 is, is not go. In, in English, it looks like that's the command. Go, therefore. But, but actually, in, in the Greek, it's a passive. It, it really could be translated it, as you are going. As you are going, or as you are living your life, wherever you are, make disciples. So, so that's where we get neighbors. The, the first thing Jesus says is just where you're at. And by the way, remember, I have all authority. I've orchestrated everything. Like, I know the days that you live. I know where you live. I know who your neighbor is. It's not an accident. I know who you work with. That's not an accident. I, I know what, what you like. I know what you pursue. I, I know that, that your kid is in sports, and I know all the families that are going to be around you as you go to the sports field. And that's not an accident. So as you go, make disciples. Make disciples. This, this is in, also incredibly 
amazingly good news. We, we feel it often as a burden because we're like, oh man, that's too much. That's for the professional Christians. That's for the extra, well, extra credit Christians are the missionaries, but, but, but then this, you know, the, the, you know, business class is the, is the pastors or whatever. And, and so we're like, nah, I can't do that. But Jesus says, no, here's the deal. I rescued and redeemed you. You're a disciple of mine. And here's the good news. I'm inviting you to be part of the rescue and redemption of the world, of the world. So those that were rebels not only come into the family of God and, and are part of the household of God, but, but now they're sent out as, as rescuers of the one who has all authority. And Jesus ordains the exact times and places in which we should live. Paul reminds the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, so that men might find him, though he's not far from any of them. Like, like your neighbor who does not know Jesus is not far from Jesus because you're there. I'm not there. You're there. Your coworker, you're there. Your family members, you're there. So you are plan A for the expanse of the gospel. But remember, he has all authority. It's going to happen. And that should encourage us. It, it, it is happening. Christianity is the most multi-ethnic, multinational, multi-country religion in the world for a reason. Not just, not just because uh, the Spirit's empowering, but, but, but the disciples filled by the Spirit have gone. And now, 2,000 years later, we've crossed an ocean. We speak a different language. We live in a different time and culture. And yet here we are worshiping King Jesus. Just the fact that you're in this room should be an encouragement enough that God has purposes and plans that he is going to accomplish. And he says, you're the plan. You're the plan. You're the plan. God has unique encounters in all of our lives that he wants to do amazing, abundantly more than we can think, ask, or imagine in that. So we go to our neighbors. But we also go to the nations. So this is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So our nation, but all nations. And the word there is ethne, all peoples of the earth. This is going to spread. In fact, in Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 7, he says, a day is coming when everyone from every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to gather from the throne. So that's going to happen. We're not quite there yet. But we get to be part of this. We get to be part of the nations. And so this is why we leverage ourselves as a church for church planning because we believe disciples are made within the context of the sent and local church. That, that it takes the whole church to make a whole disciple. And so this is why we partner with uh, church planning networks like Acts 29. And, and this is why we want to plant churches in our city. And, and we partner with a church in Michigan and other churches in the West Coast and, and in Italy, in Ireland, and in Nepal because we believe that disciples make disciples who make disciples. And that happens in the context of the local church. And so we leverage ourselves for that. He says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is just a, an outward testimony of an inward reality that happens when we come to Christ in faith. And then finally, verse 20, which I think might be the most important verse in Matthew's gospel. I think we kind of think of it sometimes as a little PS or kind of just add that on the end. But, but listen to what, what Jesus says. No words are throwaway words. He's about to ascend to the Father. So he says, now, the very last thing I want to tell you, listen to this. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. 
and behold. This, this is, again, in Matthew's gospel. When he says behold, he said, buckle up, pay attention, have ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand. I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of age. But, but notice the context of the witness of Christ. Uh, of course Jesus is with us when we're on vacation. Of course he's with us when we're children. <laughs> if you're just enjoying your yard. I was like, he's with us in all those ways. But, but in the context of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the context of the witness is that the one who has all authority and all power, he is with us. So there is, there is a, well, I wrote it down this week. There is an experience of his presence and power that is only felt when we step out on faith on mission with Jesus. I'll say it again. There, there is an experience of Christ's presence and power that is only felt when we step out on faith on mission with Jesus. So, so if, if you want your prayer life to feel alive, man, start reaching out to your neighbors and, and you're going to have an urgency to your prayers. If you want your Bible to, to feel urgent, Start engaging people with different worldviews and, and the hope of the gospel. And as they come back, you get back there and you study and you're like, man, this is the truth. If you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, man, he's like, yeah, I want to make much of Jesus. So as you make much of Jesus, you feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus also throughout... Matthew's gospel, I, I want to be very careful here. He doesn't promise that when you go on the adventure, that it will be safe and comfortable and all will go well. Th- there is definitely a sign that Jesus wants to point us to often at the trailhead. He says, consider the cost. He, he says, take up your cross. If anyone wants to gain his life, he must lose his life. He, he's very honest with us. He says, if you want to follow me, it's going to be, it's going to be dangerous. Oh, but it'll be an adventure, and I'll be with you always, but it's going to be dangerous. I was thinking this week, uh, when we moved from Okinawa, Japan, (coughs) to do church planning in the Czech Republic, we had to switch mission agencies. And so, uh, long story short, we we found a mission agency that we resonated with called Pioneers International. We still work for it, actually. Ryan works, Ryan Fee works for it as well. Uh, and, and as we were learning about the, the team in the Czech Republic and the agency, uh, the last day, uh, the leader of the team said, hey, do you want to watch a, a, a vision video uh, of Pioneers? We said, yeah, sure. He said, well, what you need to understand is this is going to go over our core values, like we have a passion for God. And he says, when we get to that point, the woman that's going to be talking has given her, her life to Christ. She's been martyred. So, whoa, now, now all of a sudden you're going to pay attention. She gave everything. Said, well, she was with her team in Kabul, in Afghanistan. And in 2010, the security reports were coming in that the Taliban activity had ramped up. And she was working with, on a medical team as, as a doctor in Kabul in the city and, and treating people in the name of Jesus and, and, and sharing Christ with them and um, you know, obviously doing it very carefully and securely. And our, our mission agency was saying, hey, it's time to pull you out. The reports are, are not good. 
But before that happened, uh, one day a, a man came in with, with a bandage on his arm that he used to get past security to conceal his weapon. And he pulled it out and he shot all the workers there, killing three of them, including this woman who's on this video talking about a passion for God. And when you see that, you're like, wow. But, but there were two, two quotes that came out of that story that have stuck with me. One by, by the Taliban guy who, would, when he was arrested, what, what he said, and then what, what she said shortly before this. He said this, if these people kept doing what they were doing, people all over this country would believe in Jesus. He's right. Amen. If we just let this keep going, these people serving in the name of Jesus, all the Afghans are going to become Christians. So I had to do something. And she said this right, right before this happened, when our agency was pleading with her, you, you need to come out. She says this, whatever you do, don't pull me out of this country. You will kill me if you pull me out. Because she understood the adventure is not safe, but Jesus is with her. And so how do we become that kind of church? How do we become a sent church? Together we are sent. Well, we, we start where Jesus started. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, 38, he, he looks out and he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up workers for the harvest field. The first thing Jesus is asking Redemption Parker to do, to be earnest in our prayers, to, to beg the Lord. Do, do you ever just spend any time just on your face and say, Lord, please, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is what Jesus says. This is what you need to do. Get on your face. Be a church that's eagerly desiring God to raise up workers. If we want to be about the things Jesus is about, we would, we would do that. And so we want to pray. We want to do that on our own, in our, in our bedrooms. We want to do that together in our gospel communities. We want to do that uh, in church on Sundays. But we also want to do that uh, quarterly when we gather for our nights of worship and prayer. It's not just another time to sing some songs. It's, just, it's a time to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers to the harvest field. So I want to... I want, I want to invite you to do something this week. We, we put the connect cards on your seat this week. Um, and, and if you're new here, you can fill that out, put it in there. But for everyone else, uh, I want you to grab that and turn it over. And you're not going to turn this in. You're actually going to keep it with you. Uh, you're going to put it in your purse or your wallet. I want you to write the name of, of three people, and I'll tell you who they are, that you're, you're going to pray at least once or hopefully every, every, every day this week. You can do breakfast lunch and dinner, and just a, a sentence, just a prayer. You're going to say this. The first one is you pray for someone that you know in your life that as if, like Ephesians 2 talked about, who is far from God. And God delights to bring those that are far from God into the family and the household of God. So someone you know, you're just, you're like, Lord, the, the least likely person to ever become a Christian that I know is this person. And write that name down. So, so go ahead. Take, I, I mean, I can see you, so... Uh, I want to see you writing. Uh, so then the, number, the second person is, Ephesians 2 also says, those that are near, 
Maybe there's someone in your family or your, your work or your neighbor, they've heard the gospel. Uh, they maybe even have gone to church a lot, but, but God has still yet to open their eyes and, and revive their hearts. So pray for that person. And then the third person, uh, we, we don't know the name of, but, but what we're asking and we want to ask the whole church to ask for is that God would raise up an individual or a family out of our faith family to go to the harvest we're just believing that the next stage of our maturity as a faith family is that God would begin to raise up a heart in our church family. That could be you. And so maybe you're just praying for yourself in that moment. Maybe you, maybe you have a name in mind. You're like, I'm praying. I don't like this person. Sin- no, you just whatever. Like you're, you're praying for someone to go. Like let, let, us, let us ask for that. Okay, and then the next thing, the last thing I want you to put on this card, and again, you don't, I would encourage you to share it with, with one other person or maybe your gospel community or core group, somewhere like that. The last thing I want you to do is, okay, well, what's one small step, one teeny tiny step down the, the, the trailhead, past the trailhead, that, that would, I could just walk in obedience to what, what Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is. Like, I'm, I'm going to just talk to my neighbor. Or I'm going to read a book about missions. Or I'm going to just, what's a tiny, what's one step you could take this week, a friend or coworker that you're just going to engage? And maybe just ask this question, hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Just whatever it is between you and God right now, just write down one thing. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, and let me just encourage you, do not underestimate God. Scripture, Paul tells us that, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can think or imagine. Uh, when I, 1998, I was an intern in Okinawa, Japan, working with Marines. And my mentor, who's actually our men's retreat speaker next month, uh, got invited to speak at a Japanese church in Okinawa. Now, that, this is significant because there's not many Japanese churches uh, in, in, Jap- in Japan as a whole. A uh, very small percentage of followers of Christ. And so we went there and through a translator, he preached. And uh, afterwards, we went down to the fellowship hall and had some time with translators with the Japanese uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I found myself sitting across from uh, the, the, the very old Japanese pastor. And so I just asked, I'm curious, how did you become a Christian? And so through some translation, he told the story. He said, during World War II and after World War II, he was uh, a teenager. And uh, obviously, uh, the Americans were in Okinawa after the war. And uh, there was a, an American soldier who was a Christian and, and looked out and he had a burden for the Japanese people. And somehow, some way, uh, a Japanese translation of the Bible came into his possession. And his one very small step of, uh, of obedience was to say this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it, but he said this. He, he learned how to say this. Koko de kore yonde kudasai, sore yodesu. Koko de kore yonde kudasai, sore wa yodesu. Here, read this. It's good. And he finds someone that's not intimidating. He finds a teenage boy and he says, Here, read this. It's good. And he goes on with the rest of his life. And the story begins. And it captures this teenage Japanese boy's heart. He becomes a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, 
who makes disciples. See, it's not on you. This is not about burning. Oh, I got to do all this. Let the Spirit of God work in and through your life. So we want to be a church that develops a heart and a passion for God's global purposes. Later this year, we'll have our missions advent campaign. We're going to invite you to give generously to all of our our missions and partners and church planners around the world. So uh, budget for that. Get ready for that. Uh, We we want to be a church that provides opportunities for you to go. And and we're trying to explore those as well. But here's the deal. A hundred years from now, a hundred years from now, all of us will be dead. And those of us that are in Christ will be in heaven. So I don't, I don't know how this works, but I think, I think this is going to work, okay? Check this out. Let's, I think we'll just have renewed minds and all that in heaven. So you're going to remember, but a hundred years from now, whatever date that is, okay, you can do the math. One hundred years from now, let's, let's pick heavenly time at noon, okay? A hundred years from now, we're going to have a reunion, a Redemption Parker faith family reunion, in heaven, okay? The question is, when we gather there and we're celebrating Jesus and treasuring him, uh, uh, here's what I want us to do at the re- reunion. We're all gonna do that, okay? We're, we're gonna gather, we're gonna have a reunion. Here's the question. What stories will we tell? What stories will we tell? I wanna tell stories of God's purpose and presence working in and through our lives. And then a moment's going to come when all tribes, tongues, and nations are going to gather before the throne and we're going to gather there as well. And I want in some way for King Jesus to look and say, Redemption Parker, well done, good and faithful servants. Welcome to the kingdom of heaven. What stories will we tell? If we don't have any stories yet, let's make some stories even this week. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Jesus, thank you that you have all authority. And in your authority, you commission, command, invite us to go to our neighbors and the nations. But we don't go alone, Lord. We go with you. So, Lord, I just pray that that sense of your power and your presence would be with us. For any of us that feel empty and spiritually flat, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us as we go on mission with you this week and for however long you call us to be a faith family. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.